We started the discussion to have some Copkeyborn Gibbons uh, sent back to Java. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hi, hello, what's up? Welcome back to the Raw Safari Podcast, y'all. I am really excited to be bringing you an interview from a really interesting and unique facility today. But before we get to that, let's do some housekeeping. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to Carrie Kirkpatrick, who is my latest patron. That's right. You can go to patreon.com slash if you would like to support the pod. So, um, that's exciting, and I'm so excited to have Carrie on board. Thank you so much for, for doing this, Carrie. You are awesome, and uh, you've already been such a cool supporter in so many ways, and, and now, now you're a patron, and that means the world to me. Thank you so much. I'll also use this time to remind you all to make sure that you hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening to or the add button or whatever. They keep coming up with different ones, but, you know, so that you get every episode delivered to your application right away uh, when it comes out. And um, if your app, whatever you're using, allows you to leave a rating or a review, uh, they really help, especially the five-star ones. Um, so, yeah, if you could do that. That'd be cool. If not, no worries. Just be here and listening, and and I will love you and appreciate you. Also, don't forget that if you want to see pictures from these adventures, as well as daily zoo pics, you can go to at Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and at Rossafari Pod on TikTok has some videos from my times uh, visiting these places. You can also see those on Instagram, but hey, whatever. You do you. Follow on the socials as you will, and I appreciate it. Okay, 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 enough, 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 enough. We need to talk about today's episode, y'all. So we're back in our California series, and one of the coolest places that I got to visit in all of California was the Gibbon Conservation Center. This is such a cool, unique, small little facility that uh, is dedicated to the conservation of gibbons, in case you couldn't tell by the name. And this is a facility that has been praised by Jane Goodall herself. Now, I want you to picture this. This interview was done sitting outside at a picnic table, completely surrounded by enclosures filled with gibbons. To say I was distracted would be the understatement of the century, and, uh, you know, you'll understand why. It, it, was a, it was a very worthwhile distraction every time. Uh, lots of cute animals, lots of cool stuff. Now, y'all know, if you've been following along, that I got this super cool noise reducer thing that can clean up all of the background audio in my interviews. However... I sure as heck wasn't going to do that for this episode because most of, if not all of the background noise that you hear is Gibbon's song. And uh, spoiler alert for the episode, I knew that Gibbons sang, but y'all, they sing. Like, they don't just make noise and communicate, they actually sing. I'm going to let my guest today explained this further, but there is music theory involved with Gibbon's song, just like there is in human song. And uh, this musician had his mind blown learning about that. Also, for those of you who, uh, you know, have been following the adventures of Parker and her new baby, Parker is the Gibbon at the Akron Zoo, and uh, you heard all about that pregnancy and the birth and everything right here on this podcast and, and a variety of episodes, both zoo news and interviews. Well, Parker lived at the Gibbon Conservation Center before heading out into a couple of different zoos, ending up at Akron and, and giving birth. So uh, you'll get to hear what Parker was like early in life and all kinds of other cool stuff about the Gibbons that are living at the facility. 
this is just a really fun, cool, kind of different episode, y'all, and I'm excited to share it with you. But first, a commercial. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, y'all. So yeah, today you are going to be hearing from Gabby Scolar, who is the director of the Gibbon Conservation Center. Now, Gabby originally comes from Hungary and now lives at the GCC with her Gibbons, not literally, you know, in their enclosures or anything. Um, but her journey to get here was really cool and 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 kind of almost seemed like it might not have happened. So uh, I'm excited to share her story, and I'm excited to show you how conservation organizations can work with zoos and other um, organizations out there to make an impact in a variety of ways. Some of the stuff that Gabby does is really cool and um, isn't just at the center. So I'm going to let her tell you all about that. I'm going to shut my yapper now, and uh, it's time. Let's get to this interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Gabby Scolar, director of the Gibbon Conservation Center. All right, so why don't we start off by you telling me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. My name is Gabriela Scholar, and I'm the director of the Gibbon Conservation Center. We are in Santa Clarita, and um, we house uh, 37 gibbons here. We have five different species, and um, we are actually sitting right near the pileated gibbons, but we also have eastern hula gibbons, javan gibbons, northern waichi gibbons, and we have one female siamang. Awesome. Yeah, this place is really, really really cool. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so it's, it's a, a mostly outdoor facility. Yes. <laughs> and it's loud. Yes. <laughs> Singing. I love that. Um, and we are in, so for, for those of you who don't know Santa Clarita, we're in like canyons. Yes. Um, driving into this area was really cool. Uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful zoo or be- beautiful, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful area. And um, you literally go through the canyons of California and like hit a couple of dirt roads and have to follow the signs or you will get lost. And um, and that brought us to here. And, and I'm just, I'm stoked. And as you can hear, gibbons everywhere. So uh, tell me a little bit about um, your history. What got you into gibbons and what, like, what brought you from like childhood to sitting here? So I'm originally from Hungary. And um, I always loved animals, and uh, I had a bunch of pets, you know, tortoises and cats and and hamsters and rats and just, you know, snail, (laughs) everything, (laughs) everything. And uh, my parents kind of let me do that until I was responsible for them and taking care of them. And I was just enjoyed watching animals and just being outside, being in nature, and... um, I was also interested in philosophy and I just wanted to understand what makes us human, how we are different from animals. And I went to study uh, biology, but I also was studying psychology and philosophy, just picking up random uh, classes at the university. And um, every summer I worked at the Budapest Zoo. It was the closest zoo where I was growing up. And um, I was working with the birds, but... um, while I was working at the zoo, I met 
a primatologist who was studying gibbons. She was giving them a mirror and uh, see how they react to their mirror reflection if they saw any signs of self-recognition. And for a couple of years, every summer while I was working at the zoo, she was doing her research there. And I don't talk to her ever. I was like, just just watching from a distance. <laughs> but uh, at the third year at the university, we had to pick a subject of what we're going to do our thesis research. And that's when I reached out to her and I called her and she gave me a job. She told me to go to the zoo and uh, record a gibbon that was just going through his... Um, changes he was changing his song from singing the female part to the male part and i had to go to the zoo early morning and uh record him um like many students i like to sleep in so <laughs> i i missed many times the song or i got there and he just finished <laughs> so it wasn't like here there was like gibbons always singing <laughs> Um, so it was hard, but eventually I got the recordings. And after that, we started working together and visiting different zoos in Hungary and, and studying gibbons, given two use, um, self-recognition, object permanence, and just in, in general, observing them and, and um, learning more about them. And um, she was the only primatologist in Hungary, so I just kind of stuck with Gibbons. But as I was learning more and more about them, I just wanted to help them and I wanted to improve their condition in zoos and um, I I just wanted to continue working with them. She told me about this place. She told me there is a center in California with a bunch of Gibbons and... Um, I just kind of stuck in my head. And when I finished my thesis research, unfortunately, my professor passed away. I still wanted to continue working with Gibbons. So I wrote to Alan Wutnik, the center's founder, and um, asked him if I could come here to help take care of the Gibbons. And I told him I have no money, <laughs> but I'll work every day. <laughs> I'll work very hard. <laughs> and uh, eventually he let me come. And wow. I, I came with $200 and a backpack. And I worked every day for six months. And uh, for, for you to spend like $20 a week, that was like in 2005. So you could get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, it was just the happiest times of my life. I was just happy just to be here and hear them and take care of them and, and learn about them. But um, I came with a tourist visa, so I had to return back to Hungary. But we applied for a scholarship. I got funding. I was able to come back and, and continue my studies. And eventually we applied for a work visa. A couple of years later, applied for a green card. And, and um, now I'm a, a U.S. citizen. So and I've been here since 2005. Wow. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> How long has the center been here? The center's been here since the 1980s. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Very cool. But um, it was founded in 1976 um, by Alan Mutnik. And at first it was in Chatsworth. It was just a, more like a small zoo, okay. uh, perhaps with a few gibbons already. And because they were singing there were some complaints already um <laughs> they alan had to relocate have to move out of that area he came out here there was nothing here no no nothing. one but there was a house and there was enough land so he decided to establish the center here kind of it felt like the middle of nowhere but it doesn't feel like that anymore but it still feel like a little bit like out of space like wh why here <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 like I said, it's a beautiful area, but um, it is it it's remote without being remote. Yeah, you know, I liked uh, as I was driving <laughs> and I couldn't help but notice that a lot of the stores in the town don't have like store names; they just have descriptions. <laughs> so there was literally like gas station, food mart. I even saw one that just said comic books, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, all right, all right. Well, I guess I guess when you're out here, there's only one option for each. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, that's such a cool story. And I love that you just, just found and fell in love with this, this passion and are now living it. And I do mean living it because part of working here is you actually live here, right? Yes. Yeah. I so so tell side. me about that and tell me about the staff and, and how that works. So, um, 
I'm pretty much living on site since I first arrived. I visit back to Hungary uh, yearly or sometimes even more often. But um, I just, I can't imagine living anywhere else. I have a tiny house and I just like to be here. Just kind of always feel like I'm the guardian of the place. So right. just enjoy being here. And um, it's we don't have to drive. Traffic can be very bad. So... Um, we have one staff that's uh, somewhat close, lives close by, so she drives here in the morning. She works part-time, Sophia. And then we have Alma and Jesse also living on site. And um, it just makes easier. And the Gibbons need supervision. So if something's happen overnight, uh, if there's a fire, if any kind of emergency, it's just easier to, to just be on site. It's safer for them. Yeah, makes sense. Plus, I mean... That, that's a perk. We all know what real estate costs out in this area. So, like, probably saving yourself a couple bucks in a good way, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's and awesome. save on gas, too. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my goodness. Gas prices out here, blowing my mind. <laughs> um, yeah, but very cool. So, let's let's talk about what kind of work you're doing to to help gibbons. Um, are, are most species of gibbons endangered? And, and what, what kind of work's being done at the center? Yeah, so uh, there's 20 species of gibbons, and um, from the 20 species, 19 are endangered or critically endangered. Uh, one species, the Hainan gibbon, is maybe down to like 35 individuals. Oh, jeez. The population is actually growing. It's, it's a very small population, but a couple of years ago was like only 23 left. So there, I think they find more, and there's also newborn uh they, they produce offspring right so but that's one of the rarest primates the hain and gibbon and then um there are other species that are endangered critically endangered like the northern white gibbons extinct in china but they still find in laos and vietnam and in the u.s they have a species survival plan for them so we collaborate with them and we have 10 of them born at the center and we've been um uh, housing that species for many years. So uh, the oldest one we have is 39 years old and yet six offspring here. And then uh, we also have Javan Gibbons. We were the first one in the U.S. that bred the species and we have 12 of them born here. And um, we send pairs to Fort Wayne and Greensboro also produce offspring. We started the discussion to have some Coptibone Gibbons uh, sent back to Java as a, to try to release them back into the wild. It's a very new program, but the few individuals from England were already being successfully released. So that's something that we would like to do in the future. Nice. Because of the pandemic, it was, you know, delayed. It's just, it's not really safe right now to send or import gibbons. Of course, right. And and quickly, before we go back into what you were saying, um, yes. you, you mentioned an SSP. Mm -hmm. um, before. So obviously this is not the type of facility that would be a like AZA accredited. This isn't a zoo, yes. but y'all do partner with the AZA for the SSP and, and, um, are like a facility in good standing that they're working with, which I think is just important mm -hmm. for people to know. Yes. This isn't a backyard gibbon breeder. <laughs> obviously I wouldn't be here if it was, but right. on top of that, um, you know, you all are working with the AZA, with the SSP and specifically sent a gibbon to Akron, mm -hmm. who my listeners yes. <laughs> know real well. So let's just pause for a second and, and talk about that. Then we'll get back into the other ones. Right, but, sure. But I want you to, to talk about Akron. Yes. So um, we are not a zoo. We are a conservation center, and uh, we are not accredited by the AZA. Um, at some point, we would like to be an easier related facility, uh, but we kind of have to work towards that. And um, but we do work with the SSP. I'm I'm the Gibb and one of the Gibbon husbandry advisor for the Gibbon SSP. Our uh, veterinarian, Dr. Howard Martin, is the vet one of the veterinary advisor for the Gibbon SSP. And we also uh, send animals to AZA zoos to be part of the the program. We collaborate with them. And uh, Parker, one of our northern white gibbon, she was born here, and um, we sent her to Akron Zoo. We actually sent her first to Cheyenne Mountain Zoo because okay. Akron Zoo was building a new exhibit, and it, they were not ready to receive the pair. The male came from a, another zoo. I don't remember which one. 
So, but I, I take, I took care of uh, Parker here at the center. I remember her uh, as a young female, and uh, we were so excited when she was, uh, when she had a baby. <laughs> yes, that is so cool. And um, my listeners have have been there for a lot of that story. Um, we've done a couple episodes from there now, touching on that. So yeah, it's, it's. I just, I love how circular it all is. That's, yes. that's really cool. And we keep in touch. You know, uh, now that our social media uh we we follow the zoo and we see the updates and we were excited since they were started posting the ultrasound pictures so yeah if you if you remind me i'll show you i have a couple of good pics from when okay. i was there last week or two yeah. weeks ago now but yeah yeah very cool um all right so anyway going back into the conservation thing i just i i love to get the animal you know the personal stuff right yeah and we have um other gibbons like parker has an older brother at virginia uh and then another one in nashville who also has an offspring so it's it's always exciting to see the they are uh the family is growing (laughs) definitely very cool so that's one of our goal here uh, to participate in captive breeding programs. And it's not always SSP because uh, for not all species, there are SSPs. There are uh, endangered species that just they don't have a big enough uh, number in the U.S. to able to have an SSP for them. So for Pileated and Javan Gibbons, we participate in a global captive breeding program. And we have many of them born here as well. And, uh, but that's just one side of what we do here. Um, I mentioned that I'm the husband, the advisor. So anything we learn about here, uh, as we take care of the gibbons, whenever we do medical checkups, we t- try to share that with others. If there is a easy conference or there are a couple of gibbon husbandry conference, we attend those and we give lectures poster presentations, uh, also went to a couple of workshops in Asia as well um, about rehabilitation and release. And um, so these are very important to kind of come together. The kind of, uh, it's a small community of people working with Gibbons, some from a zoo field, some in a field. Unfortunately, the the last Gibbon Husbandry conference was uh, canceled, and there was uh, a conference that was supposed to be in Vietnam, and we're hoping to bring together people from the field and also from the zoological community to share what we know about Gibbons. But I often got emails from seriously all over the world, not even just from the U.S., that they have questions about diet, introducing to Gibbons or mother rejecting the baby. And if I can, I try to help. So I, I've been taking care of Gibbons in the past 16, almost 17 years. So um, I learned something and I want to help other Gibbons, not just these guys here. <laughs> right, right. That's really cool. That's I love that. Um, small, passionate communities can get a heck of a lot done. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And um, so we also open to the public for guided tours. Uh, So we educate the people. Sometimes we also go to schools and give a talk. Uh, But most of the time we try to bring the kids here and do a field trip. And um, we feel like uh, educating the general public is also very important. And at at our center, we we feel it's important to just... uh, instead of having them walk around on their own, just do a guided tour. And um, there are also schools that are not able to afford to visit. So we have a scholarship and we try to cover the cost of the bus and we do a free tour. Nice. We have volunteer programs and internships. Uh, Students that want to become primatologists or anthropologists, they start volunteering for us and... If they volunteer for like a hundred hours and they want to learn how to care for the gibbons, we start training them. And um, again, it's, it can build their resume. And whenever we have an opening, we usually hire someone that's already been volunteering for us for a while. So it's uh, it, it feels a little bit like a family, you know, with our staff and volunteers. We are also a non-profit organization, so we have board of directors that also help with our mission, with events, grant writings, everything. Very cool. Yeah, it's wonderful here. One of the things that I noticed is, uh, you know, I've gone to a lot of conservation centers that aren't open, like, all the time, like, aren't a zoo, like you said. They might do, you know, tours or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think you all have the best signage 
of any conservation organization I've been to. Every um, habitat has the type of gibbon, the uh, IUCN red list status, approximate number remaining in the wild, each individual name. A lot of them have birth dates and stuff like that. I I think that's really cool. Um, tell me about how, how that decision was made and, and what it was like, you know, to get all of that done. I think uh, we just... At first, we we were, you know, we were not open to the public. And uh, we had uh, college students started coming more often. And um, when we decided to open to the general public and do the guided tour on the weekends, there's always few people that just, you know, we find they're not paying really attention. They're looking at the, the gibbons and then they're checking some of the signs. So we wanted to improve the signage we had. And uh, we able to get some funding for it uh, from the city of Santa Clarita and uh, from other foundations. So um, we consulted with people to help, you know, design it. And um, but we we get everything done with kind of very low cost. So we involve volunteers and artists and whoever willing to assist us to make the signs. And we actually planning to do some more uh, improvements. Uh, so create some more signs <laughs> right no that's really cool but I, I love even just like they all have valentine's hearts up right now with their names on them um which is just adorable and is a nice way to actually connect with the animals like i'm sitting here looking at, at tuck and izzy and boo and howard and i know that because i can read it and then they're right there and it's kind of amazing and that's also why i keep not looking at you during this interview sorry oh, it's so easy to get distracted <laughs> i'm also seeing anastasia and nate are playing together so we well, we have the gibbons all around us and they are all playing or doing something and uh, so when we do a, uh, a tour uh we of course, it's educational, but we feel people will connect with the gibbons if they learn about the individuals. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes when you go to the zoo, you walk around, there's so much to see. Um, you might read some signs, but you might not know about each individual. Who are they? And I think that we try to do here, since it's a small facility, we can that uh, as we talk about each species, uh, we introduce the visitors to those gibbons and tell them a little bit of their story, their individual personalities, and then they can read their names. They see when people connect just with that, oh, his birthday is the same day as mine. Right, yeah. It just, uh, or like, oh, Howard is like... I don't know. Some we had someone on the tours named Howard, and he <laughs> really liked it. So it it happens, and I think it's important that they they meet these individuals because they are so different, and and it's uh, they can be very funny, and and people want to learn about who's Howard and. Uh, how it took like. <laughs> and that's actually, like, that's a big part of what I do on the pod. And we're going to get there. I'm going to have mm -hmm. you talk me through some of the sure. givens here so my, my <laughs> listeners can connect with them. Um, yes. And we, we will get to that. But, like, yeah, I think even just little things like Shelby over there was born in 1983. You know, it's one thing to understand that gibbons can live a long life. It's another thing to see a gibbon and see a sign that says, yo, I was, I was born in 1983. It's one thing to like read, you know, the average lifespan of a gibbon is, bah, whatever. It's another thing to see a, you know, almost 40 year old gibbon and be like, oh. Right. All right. Cool. But unfortunately, Shelby passed away. And that's something. <laughs> it, it's not funny. It's not funny, <laughs> no, but that funny. was just really it's funny. <laughs> but no, it, it's so we, we have a hard time taking their signs off. Okay. That because, makes sense. you know, we took care of Shelby here for 20 something years. Right. And especially towards the end of his life, I, I spent sometimes hours with him just to care for him. And, and, uh, I just couldn't do it yet. So it, it stays there for a while. And, uh, yeah, we have, it, it takes a couple months, uh, before we take down their signs. Well, I mean, that makes but sense. That's that's a beautiful thing, mm -hmm. honestly. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their average lifespan is about 40 years. Okay. But, but sometimes they live longer. Shelby has a um, lot of issues. He had diabetes and very severe arthritis. And um, so that that was kind of hard to, to care for him. The other 
things here that we try to be as hands off with the gibbons as possible. And um, we started doing some basic behavior training uh, with certain individuals to make a routine checkup less stressful. And when we find out that Shabi had diabetes, we started working with him. But he was an individual that didn't want to be touched. It was very stressful for him to do any kind of training because he he liked the food reward, but he's like, don't touch me. Just be off. Just give give me respect and a distance. So he would love and enjoy his food. He just didn't want to be touched so it was make it hard uh to do any medical checkup on him or check his you know um glucose level so we had to check his urine (laughs) with sticks to check for glucose and uh towards the end of his life he eventually wanted to be scratched he wanted his back groomed and scratched and that's when uh we're able to give him insulin wow so but he was still very scared of the needle. So when you care for wild animals, it's you kind of have to adjust the care for, for each individual. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, um, I think that's something that, that it's important. That's one, like I said, I try to do it on the pod is to get mm-hmm. the individual stories out there. Yeah. Because I feel like every time I talk to a keeper that's worked with a lot of animals, they always have at least one story that's like, okay, so you know how animal X does this. Well, this is Bob, and Bob is that animal, and absolutely does not do that. And it just, you know, it's important. I think it's so easy to get caught up reading and studying and learning, which is super important. Mm -hmm. But then you need to remember to learn from the individuals Mm -hmm. as well, just like, you know, with humans and stuff. We all have to do it. Yeah. 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 Um, All right. Well, so... um, you know, thanks for sharing about uh, Shelby. I'm, I'm sorry I got there in such an awkward way, but um, that's that's a beautiful story. I do love that. Um, why don't you tell me about some of the, the Gibbons that are here right now? Yeah, so, well, I have favorites. Don't tell other ones. <laughs> Wait a minute. They all just started looking over here curiously. <laughs> They're watching. So, I mean, just because we are here with the pileated Gibbons, um, so Boo is just... Just the troublemaker. <laughs> so she's like a middle child. <laughs> she acts like a middle child. Um, and then Howard uh, is his younger, he's her younger brother. And uh, he's those typical annoying little brother that always wants whatever she's eating or playing with. It's like, it's just right away. She goes on the ground and pick up just a chunk of dirt. Then he wants that chunk of dirt. <laughs> or she drops some food on the ground. Um, then he has to check it out. So th- they they have a very funny relationship that um, when we tell people about that, it's like, oh, this is like just like my little brother. <laughs> so, um, but boo. Uh, so I, when I'm cleaning, uh, this guy is very gentle, so we can enter the enclosure for cleaning. And uh, many of the gibbons are very mischievous, so they like to pull my hair. And she will pull my <laughs> hair, but she will just pull one by one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cute. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah, they are just, I, like you said, I keep getting distracted. I'm like, I have a question in my head, and then they're gibbons being gibbons. Uh, yeah. Um, very cool. That's I love that relationship. That's awesome. And so those are some of the pileated. So mm-hmm. tell me about some of the others. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we have Pepper. She's a very special female. She's actually Parker's younger sister. Okay. And uh, there's a, a female, Ricky, she came from Australia and she had uh, six offspring with Wok. Um, they lived together for about 23 years. And um, always the white chick gibbons are the one that just kind of start the morning song. And uh, because Ricky was here for such a long time, so she will be the one that starts. And then other females would wait for her and join in. And uh, the Wok, her partner, will also... Uh, wait for her to get out of the bed, pee, and just get ready to sing. But when Ricky developed cancer and eventually passed away, her daughters were the one that kind of took over leading the song. And um, when Parker moved away, you know, we sent her uh, to another zoo. 
uh, Pepper was just a young gibbon, just a juvenile. She took over leading the song. Oh, wow. So it was just a very special thing to to see how she she just she just stepped in and and started singing. And uh, she's still our lead singer. So, but ninety percent of the time, either her or her family together uh, starts the song. And uh, she's funny. If somebody else wants to start, she ignores them. <laughs> so, um, you know, Gibbons, most species will sing a duet. And uh, here, because there's so many Gibbons together, uh, they have their routine as well. So um, they coordinate the song with each other as well. So Pepper will lead the female part and then the two female next door will join in with her. And if they don't join in in time, she would repeat it and then try again. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it's just kind of uh, interesting to hear that routine. And then the males will answer the female part, but they also pay attention to each other because they try not to overlap. They want to hear where the other one is. So they have their order <laughs> who's wow. joining in first and answering the female part. And then uh, we only have one female see among Marlo. She's a very lazy singer. So <laughs> if she's willing to join in, she just takes it over. And then she just, just rocks the whole place. <laughs> she's so cool. But then other times she's like, okay, everybody's singing. Uh, I'm just going to eat my green beans and <laughs> just going to keep eating. So um, they... <laughs> I didn't realize that Gibbon's song was so complex. Can you can you talk more about it? What what they're using it for, and and you know the different, yeah, sure. different tones or whatever. I'm I'm <laughs> shocked. I'm a musician, so this okay. is this is big for me. <laughs> yes. Um, so each species have their own species-specific song, and the song is inherited. So they don't learn the different parts. Um, and they they usually start developing the song at a young age. Uh, Gibbons live in nuclear family groups, so the the parents and the dependent offspring, and then the young ones. Sometimes at a couple months old, sometimes even earlier, sometimes later, they start joining in with the parent song, and the they tend to sing the female part. Once the male is around six and a half, seven years old, they switch and uh, they become less and less enthusiastic singing the female part and they start singing the male part. Interesting. But they, they don't just do it right away. It's like they start vocalizing, uh, making these weird vocalizations, uh, high pitch, weird sounds, and then they practice and practice and eventually will start to sound like the adult male. <laughs> That's really cool. And then we have like Howard, he's just not into singing. Mm. So I think he would just at some point will start practicing the male part, but he's not joining in with the female. And then we have with the Javan Gibbons, we have young males that will do and sing along with their mother, sing the female part, and other ones who's just also not into singing. Mm. So there are individual differences. And um, so the... Most species sing a duet. There's only two species that only sing solo songs. The The songs serve to mark their territory, to tell their neighbors this is their home. And they also help them strengthen their pair bone, definitely for the ones singing a duet. They have to practice. They have to pay attention to each other. So like with a pileated duet... Uh, the male joins in towards the middle of the female part. Okay. So he has to listen and pay attention. Otherwise, it's going to be late. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So, okay. So, like like I mentioned, I am a musician. I am a right. professional drummer. That's why I'm out here doing the thing. And I do a lot of music, like, arranging and stuff. And... um I always feel like music, I mean, it gets talked about a lot, but music is a language in, in its own right. But in this case, music is literally a language and they're they have to learn to communicate together and work and practice together and that is blowing my mind <laughs> i am so excited about that um that's just so cool yeah i, I hope you're gonna get to hear it but w we do have recordings though cool. we can also share so um and and when you first hear it it feels like all random but it actually follow very rigid rules but then um Anything, you know, that follow rigid rules, there are also exam uh, exemptions. So right. there are, uh, like, usually the males sing the male part, female the female part, but there are females that sometimes sing the male part, 
or the male singing the 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 male song and then something disturbs him and then he's just get out of his thing and he starts singing the female part. Oh wow. So they they have these little uh interesting things that um you can't really repeat it uh but it just happens. That's <laughs> you so can pay attention to it. <laughs> that, I mean that's that's literally, you know, not to anthropomorphize, but that's that's literally what happens on stage. Sometimes <laughs> you get distracted and you sing the wrong part or or sometimes you'll have somebody like me who's going to improvise certain stuff and change it up every night mm-hmm. and and other times people who always sing the same thing. And yeah, you're right. There are even times that people don't feel like singing and they don't or they only do it halfway like everything that you just said i can relate to being on stage which is the coolest <laughs> thing cool. ever like I, yeah everything you're talking about i'm like yeah no i've been in that situation oh yeah no i know a singer who's like that oh yeah <laughs> and we have gibbons that are very confident like pepper she mm-hmm. just she she just know her rule and she just do it but we had lucia when she first moved out of her family and it was time to sing. She just went in her sleeping box and she hid. <laughs> like, she, like, I'm not doing this. And uh, it took for about two weeks that she would start joining in. And uh, she every time she's just sitting and waiting for Pepper to start. And she, she might even look for her. And sometimes she's got busy with something else and she miss when she's supposed to start and she either start late or she just keep <laughs> it's it's very funny to to see her <laughs> wow i am i am beyond fascinated it's and we always think of music as i know there's music and song in the in in the animal kingdom mm-hmm. obviously but like you think of music in terms of music theory and like the right way to structure a song and everything as a very human thing Mm -hmm. and to hear that gibbons have those rules is literally just (laughs) blowing my mind that is that is one of the coolest things i have ever heard on this podcast that is that is i hope you hear them but also see them sing because the other interesting things that they sing with their whole body okay so uh they just have a very specific posture while while they do that so that's also very cool (laughs) that's that's incredible this is incredible (laughs) Um, awesome. So, so tell me about some of the other individuals here that stand out. Okay. So, uh, so my favorite Gibbon is Kima. And, um, the reason, well, why he's my favorite, um, Kima had a female that was an orphan. She was a rescued female. She came from the Yangon Zoo from Myanmar and, uh, she had, um, three offspring and, um, she, it's like she was like a, a female that got stressed out very easily, mm-hmm. and and then she started to be not so good of a mother. She also had some issues with breastfeeding. The babies had teeth, and uh, she just couldn't deal with it eventually. Gotcha. But we we would work with her. We did some you know a little bit of training. We tried to put things on her nipples to make it less painful. And each time we thought, oh, she, this time she's going to do it. She's, right. she's better. She's better at it. She can manage it. And we seriously will tiptoe around her enclosure, just like never, just not to stress her out. But eventually, unfortunately, she will reject all her babies. And um, so Kimo was my uh, first baby that I had to hand raise. Um, and I, I seriously don't even know how to put a diaper on him. I, I, <laughs> I don't have kids. So I actually had a volunteer that had younger siblings. And he showed me how to put a diaper on That's the, amazing. that uh, baby. Um, and uh, that was just during the period while they were inside. So we were taking care of them. And um, so once he got older, he was growing up with his younger brothers and eventually we introduced the middle one back to the mother and then the the oldest and the younger brother were growing up together with the female they just kind of take took care of them kind of fostering them and uh but Kimo was my first one and uh we I just get very attached to him and he's 
he's a very unpredictable Gibbon. Uh, he's incredibly smart. He's super curious. He's still glasses all the time. He just caused trouble always. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with, uh, you know, new volunteers. They're not as quick. They don't pay attention. He will reach out super quickly. Uh, still their glasses. And then you can stay. And he, he stole my glasses also many times. <laughs> I have a couple pairs <laughs> just to be ready for that. Um, he likes to play with my phone. He would scroll through pictures. Oh, wow. He likes toddler applications okay. and he would play with them. But he kind of have a short attention span. So it's like 10, 15 seconds. He's very into it playing mm. and then he just wants to just throw it away. So he just <laughs> lose interest. And um, he, I don't know. It's just his temperamental. He's very sensitive, but he's also very smart. And uh, I just, just, uh, have a very close bond with him but since he's now living he's an adult now he's intro we introduce him to adult female uh we are pretty hands-off so but you know when i work with him when i take care of him sometimes i still scratch his back a little bit gibbons can be very jealous so the female betty she's also very funny female she would just smack him and tell him don't interact with humans <laughs> so um but explain it why we want to kind of hands off with the gibbons because it can sometimes disturb their pair bond so they they can get very jealous and i think the female knows that he likes me he wants to interact with me so she's kind of try to keep him away and i don't want to upset them so try to be as hands off as possible uh, to to clean their enclosure, we have to shift them. He's so hard to shift. So that, that's, again, it's like a routine thing in, in Zuber yeah. that you shift animals. And their gibbons are so easy, like always easy. And then there's like one or two that is just kind of make your life more difficult and they will be super stubborn. And uh, But I think it's very funny. This is just part of our life. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, as you, were, as you were coming up in the world, and even once you found out about this place and everything, mm -hmm. did you ever think that someday you would be a, a you know, foster mother and a lactation <laughs> consultant for Gibbons? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I didn't know. Uh, as, a, as a child, I was raising, you know, baby birds and kittens and, and, and um, squirrels and who knows what, just random wildlife so <laughs> yeah wow this place is that's just really special um are there any other ones that you wanted to give a shout out to any of the other gibbons that, that you want to tell us about uh the, it's like so in gibbons between couples or within the family it's usually the adult uh female that's more dominant uh they're just a little bit more bossier and it doesn't matter on their size or strength it's like just eventually they just gonna be the boss so we have a, a, a funny pair here alan who was born at the center we named him from our founder because he was just born after our founder passed away and chantar she's a very petite female she was rescued from the wildlife trade as, as well and when we first introduced them he he knew he's bigger he was stronger and he tried to bully her but just the way she eventually stood up for herself and uh, just kind of taught him that she, she's the boss. Nice, nice. He respects her, so it's 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 kind of fun. But this the the relationship. Yes, the female is more bossy, but but they just uh, so close. It's, if their bond is um, strong, they're so emotional. So they Aww. they they hold hands, they hug, they at night they hold each other, but they can be very temperamental. So especially the hulocks, like if they have an argument over the last meal, their greens, then they're gonna go sleep in two different sleeping boxes, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it just uh, yeah, they I just. It's not just individual differences. You will see differences also between species that you have the pileated gibbons that are a little bit slower, a little bit shy, but they can get very intense. Like if I'm, if Howard, uh, crying about something you just don't want to be near mom <laughs> she's so protective. <laughs> so they can be very intense as well. And then, um, the, the Javan gibbons. Um, so grubby and grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, quick question about mm-hmm. just for people that see gibbons, you know, at zoos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Gibbons are one of those species where I feel like people from time to time feel like they look mad or sad or angry, like they shouldn't be in a zoo. Um, but can you talk a little bit about like just how to read a gibbon? Because a lot of times that's just not the case. You know? Right. So uh, sometimes the, the natural facial expression, uh, it looks like they are sad. Not not for all the individuals, but for certain ones. That, Let, let's just call it what but, it is. They have resting bitch face. Yeah. I, I do too. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But the, uh, what I think is also true for, for other animals, just because the animal is not actually playing at that point, he's like just resting and looking or whatever. They do that in a while as well. That doesn't mean they are upset. Um, if there are other behaviors, um, like if a gibbon give a wide open mouth, it's, you know, it could be just yawning, uh, <laughs> but then it's, the lips and the, the teeth are different or that's when they are aggressive and they show their big teeth, but it's usually a short facial expression. It's not going to, they're not going to keep holding it wide open or uh, they might chirping like when we walk by Pierre. Uh, Pierre is somewhat imprinted to people. Uh, when when you interact with gibbons in a young age, they come uh, become imprinted, and uh, they're gonna be a little bit confused about being a gibbon. And when they see humans, they they think you are in their territory or near their territory, and then they will vocalize. If you would enter or go near Pierre's enclosure, he would turn aggressive. When we just walked by, he was chirping a little bit. Some people think he loves them. Like, he's chirping because he's excited to see those people. It was a very cute noise. It really (laughs) was. It's a very cute noise. And when we tell people, you know, he's actually a little bit concerned. And he's alerting his family that there are people here. And the family, like, doesn't really mind the people. So that's another reason we do guided tours here, because if we see a gibbon is not happy or scared or anxious, like, yeah, let's just keep going. (laughs) So like that, another one, Umin, another of my favorite, he also gets concerned about men. And uh, I just look at his face and I see his little lips and I see his posture and, oh, he's a little bit scared of you. Just don't look at him. Don't don't stare at him. And... um, because we've been working with gibbons and we we know their their behavior, but the general public, uh, you know, they they just see a cute animal making cute low sounds or uh, doing a just resting and it's just perfectly fine, uh, but doesn't have a big smile on his face <laughs> or is not playing or eating at that point. So um, it's just you'd have to go and see them in an open mind, and and if you're not sure, you just ask questions. So. Yeah, yeah. Experts are are experts for a reason. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Very cool. Um, And then uh, is there anything else that you wanted to have on this podcast? We are always open for more volunteers. So if uh, people have extra time, um, we have a couple big projects going on right now. We are... um, uh, rebuilding one of our enclosure for a family group, so we're doubling the size, and um, we'll always need extra hands for that. And then it's, we're building a new, complete new enclosure for Pepper and Nate, and that's kind of going to be like a experimental enclosure uh, for our small staff. So uh, it's going to be 18 feet tall compared to some of our other ones. I think we have 16, uh, 14 feet tall enclosures. So um, we're building that. And then there's another enclosure that we're going to add an extension. So we are on five acre right now. In the past two years, we were raising funds to try to relocate to another site. One of the main reasons we are looking to move is to be in a more uh, temperate climate. Uh, Santa Clarita, you know, we are in a desert yeah. <laughs> it can get hot in the summer so we're trying to bring the gibbons somewhere closer to the coast where it'll be more humid and uh not as extreme heat not as cold in the winter so but 
that didn't work out. Uh, we raised funds. Uh, we almost purchased the site in San Luis Obispo County, but didn't work out. So we ended up purchasing this site that we're leasing. Oh, nice. So now okay. we own it, which nice. is great, uh, but we still want to move somewhere uh, to a bigger site and a, a better site. But while we are staying here, we're going to continue proving the enclosures for the gibbons and uh, try to enlarge them. Uh, we might have to go height <laughs> instead of uh, changing the footprint. But we have a few areas that we can double. So we, we are working on that. And um, more visitors will be great um, on the weekends. So, But people have to make reservations and uh, we follow the COVID safety rules. Just everybody have to wear masks to just keep the gibbons safe. Right, of course. Um, and for people that aren't local... Um, mm-hmm. You know, where can people go make donations, anything they can do to help from a distance? Yes, of course. So we are uh, active on social media. We post pictures on Instagram and uh, Facebook and uh, people can make a donation through the social media sites and also through our website. We also have a SoundCloud account that people can listen the the different uh, given vocalizations. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> so, um, and they can send email, they can sign up for our newsletter. We also produced a documentary about the center. Um, it's called The Center, uh, Gibbons and Guardians. And that's available now for for um, on Amazon and many other sites that people can learn about the center and, and its history. Nice. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hit me. <laughs> okay, so um, that's about Alan. <laughs> All right. So he was just a baby, and uh, he was the first offspring of Puji and Arthur. And um, usually the newborn is carried by the mother. So first two, three months, it's like 24-7 on the mom. Arthur was a first-time dad, and he decided this he's going to have to give a try and stole the baby from the mom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was super cute to have the baby on the dad. It was just so sweet uh, until the baby started to cry and wanted to nurse. Right. And he did not want to hold the baby anymore. And he tried to take it off. The baby was clinging to his fur and would not let go. And he was trying and trying and couldn't get it off. So uh, we entered the enclosure. We separated Puji in a shift because she can be dangerous Mm -hmm. and we don't want to be in the middle of a fight between the two. So we shifted Puji and we entered the enclosure with Arthur and we hold my sweater under him in case he drops the baby because <laughs> they are so tiny. He, the Alan was only a couple weeks old. Right. If they fall, they're going to hit their head. So we need to catch the baby. And uh, I'm standing under Arthur holding my sweater and almost holding it. And he got all excited. He pooped. <laughs> and I know it's coming. <laughs> and the poop ended up sliding down my oh. face. There was no mask during that time. Oh, no. It slid over my nose, oh. my lips. <laughs> and I just kept oh. my mouth shut. <laughs> and I didn't move because I didn't want to miss the baby. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the grossest thing <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so what can I do? So eventually he managed to take the baby and just hang it on a fence. <laughs> and then we left, washed my face. <laughs> and we let Puji back. And Arthur never again tried to steal a baby from mom. <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> and I also got a special hat. <laughs> you know those rain hats? <laughs> so you repass the water, but it also works as a sun hat. And it also works to repass any poop. It's a poop hat. end up on my head. So, That's yep. awesome. All right. I like the poop hat. That's good. That's really good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yes. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> well, that was fun and awesome. Gabby is just so chill. Also, I have to tell y'all, Uh, When I first got to California and sent out my, hi, I'm in California, let me come to your facility and interview people, 
emails. Gabby was the first person who responded. And so many places ask so many questions. And like, I get it. No worries. We all got to make sure that the people we talk to are super legit. But Gabby was just like, yeah, cool. When can you come? And I was like, I love this so much. Uh, it, it really it really helped me feel like California was going to turn out to be great. And it was. So that's exciting. You can check out gibboncenter.org or on social media, head to at Gibbon Conservation Center to find all the cool stuff about the Gibbons at the GCC. I also want to take a moment to say thank you to Jacob Newman, who is a, a fan and regular listener. Um, when I asked for facilities in California, he told me to check out the Gibbon Conservation Center. And I got to tell y'all, I had not heard of it until he recommended it, and boy, am I glad he did. So thank you, Jacob. I super duper appreciate the suggestion. This one was awesome, and I owe that entirely to you. Also want to say thanks to Laura Shank, my Red Panda Level patron, and to all my patrons, but we talked about that at the beginning of the show. So the last thing I'm going to say is just a quick reminder, friends, that uh, the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.